When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The rose water collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. I'm Hugh Atchison. I'm a chef, a restaurateur, a traveler, and now I'm the host of The Passenger. People ask me all the time, you know, what's that list of places to go in this city, in that city? And this show is dedicated to that idea, immersing yourself in that culture and finding out what's intriguing and what we think about the future of that place as a visitor, as a passenger. The first season of The Passenger premieres February 27th. Subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie, and welcome to Stuff I'll Never Told You, a production of iHeartMedia and How Stuff Works. Listeners, here we are at the end of our mini-series slash, like, full-blown series. The end. <laughs> of On Trauma. Um, and yes, thanks to Samantha for being with me on this journey. Uh, thanks, guys, for letting me be part of it. Yeah, it's been... Um, it's been a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a real lot. Yeah. Lots we, and lots. We talked about grooming, what trauma looks like, how it feels, bad coping, good coping, the literal cost of coming forward, rape kits, trauma-informed training. We did therapy. We did therapy. On air. We talked about empathy. So, yeah, it's been quite the journey. Yes, it has. And so for our final episode, we're going to talk about becoming a survivor, what that can look like. Because while Samantha and I are in different stages, we are both in this overall phase. Right. And for listeners out there in different phases, we do want you to know that things get better. As cliche as it sounds, as I know someone who's heard that and you're thinking, no, never. It it does. Yep. It passes. It's just every day. It's another day behind you. Yeah. And it, it like we've said many, many times, it is not a straight line. Um, trigger warnings for this episode, sexual assault, abuse, and substance abuse. I think, yeah, we should add in there um, a little bit of conversation about rape and domestic violence. Okay. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Samantha, what does it mean being a survivor? Well, I think, honestly, for me, being a survivor is not that I'm fixed or that I'm completely healed. Um, It's that I know I've claimed my trauma, and I'm able to recognize it more and more and able to use coping skills when I need and knowing when I need community to help me through. So I think, overall, surviving means uh, just knowing where I'm at Mm -hmm. and still claiming myself because a part of the trauma, a part of the abuse is... Um, someone takes away your humanity or takes away your safety. And so when I feel like I, I understand where I've been, mm-hmm. and it's not that I'm okay. It's not that I'm fixed, again. But it's that I can recognize who I am, and I'm not defined by the trauma, and I'm not defined by what someone did to me. But I'm more of, okay, this is a part of my life, and I can recognize when the bad things happen, and I can also use these bad things for better. Yeah. Yeah. That's That was lovely. <sighs> Um, and I do want to say before I go into mine that I read some folks prefer 
not to be called a survivor at all, um, to like move past that stage completely. And it's all about giving you control of your narrative because right. you lost control at one point in your right. life. And for me, one of the things that I've learned through doing this, because I'm actually very new to this whole thing, <laughs> <laughs> um, being able to to recognize things. and Because I feel like before, a lot of things were happening that were out of my control, and I thought they were in my control, but they weren't. So part of becoming a survivor to me is seeing those things for what they are and being able to to recognize them and control them. And um, being open about it, about my experiences and the really confusing way that I feel about a lot of them um, to hopefully make others who have gone through similar things feel less alone or feel like there is. (laughs) I don't, it's so strange because um, so many of you have written in and it's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, And just knowing that people do connect to things that you feel are very isolated or specific to you. Right. Um, yeah, and that healing isn't easy, but it is possible to have a fulfilling life that is not defined by your traumatic experiences. Um, it's being able to recognize what stems from your trauma and deal with it in a healthy, in a healthy way. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do, <laughs> but I try and my average is better now than it was, I yeah. will say. Yeah. Yeah. And as we've gone through this series, um, I have like 12, 13 episodes now, probably more than that. You've heard a lot of voices, and we wanted to include some of their thoughts on this question to show you some different ways that becoming a survivor can look. Right. Um, and also, as you're listening to this, remember, you don't owe anyone anything. Um, you're going to hear examples of what people have done, what they do, but we encourage you not to feel guilty that you're not doing more. Um because these things that we're going to talk about aren't for everybody. Everyday acts of courage count too. Right. And in general, um, being a survivor, once again, is reclaiming yourself. Yeah. And reclaiming your strength and reclaiming even the weaknesses and the vulnerability. So it's not about all the actions. And I know if you listen to my therapy, I seem to like harp on that a bit. <laughs> That's my own thing. Don't don't wear that. Uh, but it does. It is also recognizing that I have a community, once again, Annie and I bonded over this pretty deeply, I think. I mean, I know like last week we had a moment of me like, I love you, Annie. I love everything we're doing right now. Um, So, well, I mean, just saying that in itself is an amazing connection. So it's not about what you've done. It's about how you've claimed it and who you are. Yeah. And um, (laughs) kind of going off of that, um, I honestly was really embarrassed about what I talked about in my therapy session. So I love that so many people wrote in and were like, I feel the same way. <laughs> it's things like that. Right. It, it can be something as, quote, heavy, quote, small as that. Right. Um, a part of it, too, can be defining what justice looks like for you. And that's come up in several of our interviews. It might be a civil case versus a criminal case. It can look several different ways. Right. And I think it's very important today with the tone of the social climate that we look at how it's become a fight for those who identify as female. I mean, with the Me Too era and with the people who are speaking out and being more active, justice can be seen as um, women who define themselves as females taking back their story and moving forward with being there for one another and learning to be an advocate and an ally for each other. And I think it's really important to remind you guys, I know there's been some questions like, how does this relate to feminism? 
the fact of the matter is when we look at the overall arch, people don't believe women. Women sometimes don't believe women. And part of the reason we wanted to do this and we wanted to talk about this is because first and foremost, we don't, it should never go out of light. It should always be at the forefront in a conversation. I mean, you and I talked about the fact that there's just two new recent cases where the perpetrators got off pretty much scot-free. Yeah. Um, and it's not that they didn't believe the women. They just didn't feel like it was bad enough. Yeah. Taking someone's dignity is not bad enough to serve mm-hmm. time, which is absurd yeah. and injustice. But the, pro- the overall arc is this is where we learn to become friends and each other's allies. And the fact is we should believe women. Yes. And that's the overall. And how do we go forward in healing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a lot of survivors, advocacy is right. a big part of surviving. And we've been kind of touching on that a lot, too. Um, whether it's talking about your experience on a podcast, <laughs> maybe, um, or going into social work. I don't recommend it. Maybe. <laughs> um, or activism. All of the above. There are so many ways to advocate. Um, sexual assault counselor, instituting trauma-informed training, right. victim advocacy, providing or creating resources, educating, donating, volunteering at a nonprofit, giving a space for survivors to share their stories, or an art project that raises awareness. Right. Um, actually, I was going to jump in because I know we're about to talk about artists, but I did want to throw in something that one of our listeners sent me, sent us an Instagram message about a woman named Rachel Elizabeth Cargill, which... She's an activist, and she's a phenomenal writer. Uh, She is a powerhouse, essentially. And she created a GoFundMe um, called Therapy for Black Women and Girls. And I think it's fantastic. Just to kind of give off her story, um, she was talking about having the privilege of getting access to health care and that her belief is that uh, black women and girls deserve access to healing, and the planet Earth needs the ripples that will form from their healing. Um, And for her birthday, she did this whole GoFundMe. Um, and if you are interested, uh, black women who have not been able to pay for their therapy sessions, you can click on Therapy Support Fund. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's on the GoFundMe page. And it, again, the GoFundMe page is Therapy for Black Women and Girls, and they raise a lot of money, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. And I'm, I'm really sad that it takes a GoFundMe page yeah. to get there. Yeah. Um, but it's phenomenal that a community comes together. And if you guys want to have a conversation about therapy and black women, that could be a whole other session, and I think it's really important that we do talk about that eventually. But I just love that this woman, who is a powerhouse in herself, used her name and notoriety to do something big. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, a couple of episodes ago, you heard some from artist and activist Jessica Caldas, and she spoke a lot about healthy coping. But a lot of what she said had to do with what being a survivor can look like, in particular through helping pass laws or through advocating around that. Um, And this is one of the biggest things that you can do, pushing for change in your local area um, or your state or your federal. But local is, um, I think it's often forgotten. And she told us about how she got involved and what it looks like. I am a practicing artist here in Atlanta. And um, what that means is that I make work um, in the studio and also in public spaces. And I show it all over the city and theoretically, the world. (laughs) But um, for me, what that also means is because um, a lot of the work I'm making is dealing with various social issues, I'm trying to tie that sort of visual language to actionable change. And so a lot of my practice includes policy work and advocacy in the communities um, that are affected by the issues I'm kind of talking about. So... 
um, after a couple of years of primarily working with domestic violence, I found myself like really trying to spread out and talk about other things. And right around the same time was when Athena's Warehouse asked me to speak at that movie. Yes. Um, and I was asked to speak because of the work I did around domestic violence, and I think it was just assumed that I would know something about sexual assault, which was what this movie specifically spoke about. And I don't think that the organizer knew that I was a survivor myself. I had at some point shared the fact that I was a survivor. And, um, and it was honestly the first time I'd shared publicly in any kind of forum that I had I had been raped and I can't remember even how much I shared I like honestly don't remember that much about the moment right. I just was like Ugh. and I, I remember backing off a little bit um, right. from it at that at that time um, but as a result the organizer <laughs> knew that I was a survivor and a couple years later she was working on a bill in the Georgia General Assembly and the bill was um it, it, the moniker, the name for the bill was called the Rape Kit Bill. Right, it was just the HB 827. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and basically the bill was being stalled for no really good reason because it had bipartisan support and they needed someone who was willing to speak as a survivor mm-hmm. um, to, the, to the need for the bill. So the same person who asked me to speak at this movie screening asked me to come and speak to legislators right. about my experience. Um, But actually, prior to that, she and I wrote an op-ed, which was, um, I guess, the second time I wrote or said anything publicly about my own assault. And so, um, and then it got published in the AGC, so it was very public. (laughs) And then I went into the General Assembly and I talked to a bunch of, like, Republican, old, white male uh, (laughs) legislators about what happened to me. And and then we passed the rape kit bill, which was amazing. It was kind of concurrently that I was also starting to make work about, like artwork about sexual assaults. And I was talking really generally about it, like using statistics to make the work. And it was from that point that I shared my story in the op-ed and in the General Assembly that I started to make work about my own experience, which was a really different place for me to be, for sure. And since then, it's just been a continued process. I've worked on other bills that affect sexual assault survivors. I've made other work. I've worked with other survivors. And um, and it's just been sort of, it's just become a part of the way I function in the world. The year following um, the rape kit bill um, in 2017, a bill was proposed. It was HB 51. And... um, it essentially was a mandatory reporting bill for sexual assault survivors on college campuses. Um, And it was much trickier than the rape kit bill. Like, honestly, the rape kit bill was work, but it was, it had bipartisan support. Everyone understands what rape kits are and are supposed to do. They understand why they should be processed and why them languishing in like a storage unit is like inappropriate. Right. That's not difficult. But mandatory reporting is so much trickier. Right. I remember just remembering this bill because everybody was like, it sounds great. Exactly. Don't you want to go talk to the police? Isn't this a better thing? We're going to prosecute more this way, right? But. 
Yeah, and that that's the thing is it sounds really good, especially to folks who haven't experienced trauma right. or don't really understand how sexual assault works <laughs> or right. looks in the real world. And so it was this thing where we learned about the bill before it even really, like, got, like, moving. Um, so I was working with a team of women. Um, I was actually a part of the Georgia Women's Policy Institute through the YWCA that year. And so we were already aware of the fact that this bill was going to come forward. And so we were prepared. We were ready to go. And we ended up working with student survivors and a whole host of different people. But what it meant is that we had to be tracking this bill from the beginning. um, And we had to testify against it multiple, like every time it was like, taken to another level, we had to testify against it. So many times. So when you say testify, you mean it can give you a personal experience to try to counter? Yeah, basically, the bills move through committees, right? And so the first committee, or whatever committee it's in, you know, they have to have a hearing. And usually the hearings are open to public comment. Um, And so, um, and usually it's like, anybody can comment, but there was so much media and weirdness around this bill that they limited it. Every, every hearing was limited. So, um, but because I was working with this group that was kind of like working behind the scenes, I, I ended up getting to testify, like, I think four times against the bill. And so it, it literally is you go into a room, there's this panel of legislators, often most of whom are old white men, <laughs> and you're sitting in front of them and you're telling them the story of why they should not pass this bill. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to explain often in like less than three minutes is why mandatory reporting isn't as good as it sounds. And that's really difficult, especially if you're an old white man, man who trusts the criminal justice system. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, trying to explain that mandatory reporting has st- statistically been proven to actually reduce the rates of reporting of, like, victims coming forward and telling their stories so that they can get help. Um, that's something that people just don't believe, even though it's true. Right. <laughs> you know, trying to explain that many people might fear going to the police because of past experiences or because of their personal identity or because of the circumstances of when they might have been assaulted. Right. I know um, um, Annie and I also go into a lot of the statistics, again, about why people don't want to come forward. And the lo- even when they do come forward, how much trauma it causes and I'm guessing for you to have to testify and repeatedly have to advocate for yourself in this manner, it's traumatic. Um, in some ways, I mean, I thought it would be more traumatic than it was. Um, to be to be honest, in some ways it was really empowering. I love it. Yes. Because I, um, I felt really confident. Like I had, I mean, I had an incredible support team behind me, and that really helped. Like if I had been there like on my own, I probably wouldn't would have been a very different story. Right. But I was there with this group of people who believed in what I had to say and, like, were support- there to support me and were very much like, if you need to get out of there, you get out of there. <laughs> um, but then at the same time, like, you give your, like, two-and-a-half, three-minute testimony, and then these these men ask you questions that are super obtuse. And often, like, I hope they don't know, like, but often, like, sort of victim blamey or a little shamey, you know, like like yeah. kind of like tapping into all those things that victims are completely scared of or worried about if they are going to tell their story, right? One of the proponents of the bill kept talking about false reporting and how all of these right. boys were <laughs> were being accused falsely and they were they needed a fair shake and I and you know, like I someone one of them got the 
legislators asked me about that. And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's pretty much reported like 6%, but often really probably even less of reported rapes are false. Right. And, you know, then trying to explain <laughs> that just because someone's not convicted of rape doesn't mean they didn't do it. Um, exactly. There's like all these nuances that people don't get. And then literally the follow-up question was, well, <laughs> don't you worry about these boys who are falsely accused? And I just, and I, you know, it's like not the, I mean, I, I think I understand the question, but I also <laughs> am like, but why aren't you worried about all of the people we know who are like getting assaulted exactly. and can't do anything about it or are too scared to do anything right. about it? You know, like... That's a fact. <laughs> because the criminal punishments and the criminal cases have a higher standard of proof and burden and thus have serious and like much more far-reaching consequences. Right. Whereas civil cases, the the burden of proof, the standards for like you know, getting those winning those cases is right. very different, but but that's because the the sort of the end game of those cases also serves different purpose, purposes. Right. It's of, often like financial or protection or right. sort of like these other wraparound things, exactly. right? And um, the easiest way to sort of explain the fact that we have like a campus system that has a lower burden of proof right. um, versus this criminal system that should not be a requirement by any means is because they will do, will always do different things. Right. You know, students need to be able to say, this is the right course of action, action for me and for survivors. That's huge because to t- say to a survivor, you have to do this thing to right. get help or else you don't get anything right. is like a complete, like, continued like victimization like you're you're continuing to take away their agency and re-traumatizing them and literally the whole thing of rape is like like stealing someone's agency so doing that is pretty bad (laughs) (laughs) so it's like making sure that survivors have options that fit their needs and where they are at in terms of like dealing with their own trauma like is so vital so having a campus system that is different, has a different burden of proof, has different outcomes to protect the student's education. Like, that's so important. And it's very, you know, some people might do that. Some people might be like, I'm going to go to the police and get this guy arrested. Some people might be like, I need both. Some people be like, I don't need either. And that's the only person who needs to make that decision is the survivor. It was partly, like, making artwork and, like, doing all these healthy things and then, like, doing advocacy work that ended up really helping me like get to a more positive space and like a more like a, a greater ability to handle what had happened to me. So that's one thing or one avenue being a survivor can look like, um, a part of what it can look like. We have some more for you listeners, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. 
And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC, and stream anytime. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Another part of surviving is learning to let go, or if you can't let go, (laughs) at the very least recognize a lot of the guilt and self-blame and negative thoughts that come with the surviving of a sexual assault. Um, Women are already more likely to have negative self-image and body image issues in general, and going through something traumatic, like we discussed in our episode, Unhealthy Coping, can amplify those thoughts or create them. In our Good Coping episode, you also heard from Michelle and Kenya of Outdoor Journal Tour and We Hike to Heal. And Michelle said something that really resonated and can be a piece of healing. I think one of my favorites um, is the body apology. Um, I know, again, as women, I feel like we have like these standards that we feel like we have to live up to or how we should look. And we're not even necessarily just physically, but, you know, sometimes we're... um, you know, wanting to do more or, or whatever. And, you know, it's just an apology to your body because Mm -hmm. look at all of the things that your body has done for you, all the places that your body has taken you, you know, but that's probably one of my favorites because it's, it's something that's very, um, at least prevalent for me in my life. So just stopping for a moment and pausing and, you know, apologizing for, you know, calling myself fat or, you know, giving my myself a hard time for this or for that or you know wishing I could run faster or hike longer or whatever and, and just apologizing for those things and being grateful for everything that it does for me. This is something I'm working really hard on showing myself some compassion. I have treated my my body and myself without care, without compassion for years and I've really punished it. And I'm trying hard to change that. Yeah. And again, with my therapy session, I think it's fairly evident I struggle with being accepted and wanted. And body issues is an obvious insecurity. And hearing Michelle speak about apologizing to your body was such a beautiful sentiment. I literally had to stop her and be like, oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. I love that. And according to an article relating to women and self-esteem, it is very heavily linked that those with low self-esteem will more likely be able to be groomed as well as likely be unable to leave an abusive situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know according to the Dust studies that they've completed that that over 50% of women would state they have low self-esteem, which is honestly a lot lower than I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Because most of the women I meet are like, yeah, I don't like this about myself. Mm -hmm. But in that 85% of women 
that actually are a part of this opt out of important events because the way they look. And I, I yeah. know I did too. Like, I think I went and missed a funeral because I felt so bad about myself. Of course, depression in, in itself was that, but that was my excuse that I was not fit to go out and be, and be around people. Yeah. And, you know, I feel as I'm getting older and learning from my trauma, I become more aware of the dangers of my insecurities in my body. And again, not to say I've resolved it because I still wear a lot of black and I love my cardigans that cover everything. <laughs> but, I, I mean, we struggle with it every day. And, and it is important to note things like respecting your body, apologizing for being abusive to your own body, yeah. um, as she kind of states. And the fact is, it does affect um, how you live your life, and it does affect whether or not you can have the strength to leave a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And something else to keep in mind that we've said, and it's worth repeating, is that some days will be better than others. Um, advocating itself can be traumatizing, or at the very least, difficult. It can be discouraging, but knowing that and allowing for it and allowing yourself to set boundaries and to keep your self-care in mind is a really big part of this. In our Rape Kit episode, you heard from Rape Kit researcher Renee Shelby, and we asked her how she coped. Some days you're just like, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to do this. I'm going to, you know, do do anything else. Like, I will watch a dumb movie. Right. <laughs> I will go get a massage. Right. <laughs> uh, ritual body work. <laughs> hey, shout out. <laughs> uh, you know, just any, or clean my house. Like, there's just some days where I have to completely block it out. I don't know, but when you, like, hear those stories, too, like, Shawana Hall's story, mm-hmm. you know, I read that, and I just get so infuriated that yeah. I'm like, what can I do? Because this is just so unjust, and no one should have to go through this, that it kind of puts a fire in me where I'm like, you know, what, right. I can, if I could handle it, I should, I should do it. It's nothing compared to what she went through. I can only right. imagine what that feels like. Like you've been saying, Samantha, community is a big part of this too. And time, that's a key part of healing. Telling someone, trusting someone with your story is powerful. Right. Rebecca, whose story you heard in our episode around rape kits, she spoke to this. I think that just space away from it, um, you know, is very helpful and has always been very helpful for me. Um, I think beyond that, uh, sharing my story with close friends of mine and family members mm-hmm. has been completely invaluable because I um, I think, and of course now with Me Too, it's a little more, it's out there, you right. know, hopefully people, more people recognize how many people uh, that sexual assault and rape has affected. Right. Um, but I think prior to... You know, prior to that, it's like, oh, it, you know, you are supposed to feel ashamed and you're supposed to not tell anyone. And f- that feeling of being alone is so, um, it just, it, it's just horrible because you feel so ashamed because you're like, oh, God, no one else has gone through this. Right. You know, and so for the longest time, it was good for me because I was like, cool, my parents know that this happened to me. Right. And, like, they love me anyway, <laughs> you know. And um, I think just knowing that, like, that didn't define um, anything beyond uh, beyond what happened uh, was very helpful for me. Right. I also, I'm a very creative person, so I'm I'm the type that, like, I have to write things down. I have to, like, get things out. Um, and, like, I wrote a play about my experience, and that right. was very helpful because I was able to kind of process my trauma that way. Right. Um, and I co-wrote it with a very good friend of mine who also knows that that happened to me, so mm-hmm. that was very helpful because she also was like, 
oh, wow, this is really, like, messed up that all this happened to you. Right. You know, um, and I think just talking about it for me has been very helpful. Um, now, that said, I don't think that's helpful for everyone right. and everyone's experience. Right. Um, but for my personal experience, just feeling like I can talk about it is um, – more than anything, uh, it, it just is encouraging to me, right. and it has helped me process the trauma a little more. Yeah. Um, I don't ever really feel triggered by the Me Too thing. If anything, I feel like it's it's a little more. It makes me feel a little more empowered, and like I have a little more agency because it's not just a, a single voice. Yeah, if you're like, I, I think they use that clip already. I'm pretty sure you're right, but it's worth repeating too. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I know it was a difficult listen, but it's so important. Uh, of this incident and research really just blew me away, honestly. And I wish people who continue to doubt why this movement is important would actually listen. Yeah, yeah. One thing a lot of you have written in about is what to do if your significant other or friend or family member, somebody you care about is a survivor, how to be supportive. And I know that this can be difficult. I've been on both sides. Honestly, the biggest thing is open-minded listening, offering support, and not to toot our own horn, but but kind of this thing, like getting educated, <laughs> toot, toot. Um, finding resources. Um, a lot of times we feel that we have to do something for that other person to make things better. I understand that feeling completely, but that can be a way of making it about you if you're not careful. Right. Um, not always, but really listening is often enough. And for the times it's not, have a plan for how best to help. Of course, if you suspect or know self-harm or suicidal ideation is at play, that's a different story requiring professional help. Um, but another thing you need to keep your own mental health in mind, too, it's okay to set boundaries. Um, there's someone in my life that I had to do that with, and I felt really guilty about it at first. But in the long run, it was better for our relationship. Right. And honestly, to be so a support, to be an ally is to be there. Even if when they don't want you to be there, just letting them know you are there, checking in on them. Uh, like I said before, just sitting with them, that can be enough. And above all else, once again, believe them. Believe us. That's more than you know. That that opens a huge door when someone says, I believe you. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I guess from our discourse, our public discourse, um, it's hard to explain fully how frightening it is that you will tell someone something right. and they won't believe you. And it's this thing that is so traumatic. Um, so, yeah, it's really valuable. And it just re-traumatizes the person, honestly, yeah. to not be believed has the self-doubt of like, oh, man, maybe they're right. Yeah. And it's just so simple. Just listen, just believe. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit more in this episode, um, but first we're going to pause for a quick break word from our sponsor. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, <laughs> then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh, my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. 
I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And one thing we want to include at this, the, the end of this epic, minty miniseries. So many epic things. Like we've said, so many, so many of you have written in with amazing things. And it's been, we can't even express right. how much we've appreciated it. I, I love it. Um, seeing the tweets and seeing the Instagram messages about how they've related or have they been able to use this as a way of empowering them. One listener sent in about how she was able to talk to her workers to take out a picture about, uh, for example, of rape because she wanted to talk about the different types of trauma, mm-hmm. which was awesome. And then yeah. another woman I love, she had a string of tweets about how so she had a issue with an office worker and I'm feeling empowered and then you know feeling her doubt. It was just a beautiful um and just knowing that she was able to stand up once again, if you're listening, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Just being able to face your perpetrator and not break down. But even if you did, still okay because you were able to face them and then you were go be you were able to pass that. You were yeah. able to go beyond that. And that's beautiful and that takes a lot of strength. Yes. I know this because I remember um, just having a moment with which I had an incident in um, elementary school, and the dude was around, and the dude um, is still around. And every time I see him, I just want to throw up, yeah. honestly. But the fact is, I survived it. I see him, and I've moved on, and I've continued my life, and that's a weight that I've won. Mm-hmm. And I did also get a story, um, and I had kind of reached out to a few people to share their stories, and this woman sent one who— um, her story is amazing, and and just to kind of kind of go around it, she experienced both domestic violence and she um, had gone through rape at a younger age. Um, and she talks about going through therapy off and on from eighteen, and, and she's in her thirties now. Um, and apparently, she's been doing e- EMDR, which she said has resolved um, her trauma as the impact had been pretty hard on her life, and it started to bother her. So I'm just going to kind of go into her story. So when I say my or me, this is her perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, my trauma started to negatively impact my life when I realized I was having problems forming close relationships with people. I realized I couldn't effectively communicate my needs or wants. I was angry and would start physical altercations over nothing. I was displaying trauma responses to everyday situations like hiding when someone would raise their voice or disassociate when someone crossed the boundary I had established. Um, I was having panic attacks and other mental health issues, and I started having flashbacks. Um, and... And the events would stop her in our tracks or me in my tracks. Mm. I did EMDR after one of the sessions and my life had changed. The weight of my trauma was gone. Trauma survivors go through nightmares, flashbacks, panic attacks, night sweats. No one believes you, so you lie about it till you doubt yourself. Mental health issues, substance abuse issues. You try to kill yourself. Constant emotional pain and anger. Um, and then she goes into talking about how she was a domestic violence victim as well. Um, and she talks about 
before I knew it, I was a prisoner. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Everything was my fault. It was emotional abuse, then verbal abuse before it became physical abuse. I stopped going to see my family. Um, I stopped going to school. I didn't have any friends, and I had no control over my body, my hair, my anything. Um, I had no freedom. I don't remember coping. I remember crying a lot and feeling very lonely and empty. I survived the situation by reading. It sounds funny, but I read a lot. I was allowed to read because I couldn't pick up anything to watch, but I had to sit with him while he watched TV, so I read, and that's how I coped. I still read. As long as he was, he, as long as he was happy, we were happy. I had to move to another country to get away from him. I thought he was going to kill me. Um, it's hard to give advice because my advice is always get out, but when you're in a situation, you can't see. But if you're trying to cope with trauma... Get out and get help. See a professional. You're not alone. You don't have to go through it alone. Relief is out there, and you're capable of peace, which that's absolutely correct. And, and her story is so heartbreaking, and I've heard um, things like that where it's just, oh, my gosh, how did you go through this? And I love that you know reading was something that she was using to cope because there is a way, even in the midst of things, that you, you do to cope. Mm-hmm. I think you and I talked about, you know, you talked about the door. And for me, I, I lied a lot and made up things. Um, or you just ignored it. Would you yeah. talk about it again? And her her um, ability to be able to tell the story is beautiful in itself. Mm-hmm. And, and thank you, uh, Renee. Her name is Renee as well. Thank you for sharing that with us because it's very vulnerable and open. And there's so many other stories that people have shared with us that, that are necessarily not wanting us to talk about it, but right. it gave me so much encouragement. When I read these emails, I almost started crying. Yeah. I was like, it's fine, I'm fine, this is beautiful, I love these people. Yeah, <laughs> and and we we can appreciate the, the strength and courage it takes to write right. that out and to send it to right. someone. So really, we, we value it so much, right. and we are glad that you have trusted and sent those in. We, um, there are two that we did want to include. Um, one is from Aaron, who wrote, I just listened to your bonus episode on rape kits, and I wanted to share resources for any of your listeners in the Washington, D.C. area. I work for a nonprofit called D.C. Forensic Nurse Examiners, and we provide 24-7, 365 care to adult and adolescent survivors of sexual assault. I need to clap for that. Aaron, you're a hero. <laughs> Aaron, you're a hero. Listeners can access our services by calling the DC Victim Hotline 888-4-HELP-DC. We respond to the hospital within one hour and provide trauma-informed care and evidence collection. FYI, Washington, D.C. also has an online kit tracking database so that survivors can log onto a website with their own private tracking number to see exactly where the kit is in the process. We are really proud of it and just thought I'd share... You should be proud of it. That's awesome. That is phenomenal. I really wish every state could adopt something like that because that is amazing. Yeah. Um, Teresa wrote in response to the story we shared about the woman in Alaska. um, Listening to the podcast this morning, I was excited to hear you talking about Alaska. We're so often forgotten about up here, even though the case you mentioned (laughs) is disgusting. I'm sorry. I like Alaska. Yes. Uh, When the news first came out about the case, it wasn't immediately clear to the public at large that what was clearly sexual assault was technically not a crime at all. Once it became clear that such a vile act wasn't even a crime, it was a little clearer why the judge had ruled the way he had. But we all know that judges have discretion and that if he had wanted to, he could absolutely have sentenced the perpetrator more appropriately. What you may or may not know... I do know. (laughs) But I'm sure you won't be surprised either way is that the perp was a white man and the victim was an Alaska Native woman, one of the most sexually abused populations in the country. 
I have good news, though. I had the pleasure of helping to vote that judge out of power. Alaska historically basically never ousts judges, but this one is gone. Yes. In addition, the Senate is working on making it a crime to do what clearly should have been illegal all along. So please rejoice with me over this small victory and keep up all the hard work. Yes. And I will say after when we were researching, I read that soon after and was so excited. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the whole thing about them being angry, starting a group together and just going in and advocating for their government, for their local government, saying that we're not going to take this. This is BS. We're going to call this out. And the power of angry women Mm -hmm. is beautiful. Honestly, we're the best things I've ever seen. And I love that we can show when we come together. And if you push us, I think that's what we've been talking about. Future is female. This is what we're talking about when we say the future is female. Coming together and making a change. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. It is. It is. Um, so those are, that's that's one way of um, helping advocate survivors, um, if you're a survivor or not. Voting. Yes. That's one big way of advocating, as we can see. <laughs> yes. But it can look so many different, so many different ways. And as we come to the end of this episode and to the end of our mini series that we started in <laughs> December, I think. We, we yes, the baby was born in December. I don't know. We may have even talked about it before, but we finally finalized it. Yeah. In December and made it a thing that yeah, we're going to do this. Yes. <laughs> and we recorded the first episode in January. Yes, we did. Um, it's been a lot of work and often sometimes painful. Um, difficult and scary. Oh, yeah. Being this vulnerable is scary. Very scary. (laughs) Um, But it has also been rewarding hearing from you listeners. You know more about me than pretty much anyone. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) congratulations. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, And it's been really valuable for me personally. I have learned a lot. I feel like I'm at the beginning of this journey of becoming a true survivor. And I have so much work to do, but I think that I have the tools now more than ever to do it. It's literally changed my life. Mm. Yeah. Um, For those of you that are listening that are survivors, wherever you are on your journey, we hope that we've given you some examples of things getting better. um, And we encourage you to be compassionate and in awe of yourself when and where you can. Find those victorious, kind moments yourself. And I also want to thank y'all who have stuck with us. I know this was different and something I think is so important to show that we're not alone. And I loved reading comments about being able to stand up for women for your own situation. And it's hard. Honestly, I can't always say it gets easier. The mere fact that you did stick around to listen has been such an amazing thing to me. And Annie, I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you became a part of this journey and allowed me to be a part of this journey, as well as that you are willing to be as open as you are, because I know it's hard, and I know for you who um, you've said you've not told many people to share on this level, especially something that personal, not only is it frightening, but it is um, heroic in oh. my mind. Um, and I love you. I want you to, I'm going to say it on air. <laughs> I love you so much, and I feel like we've bonded so much because you are willing, more willing than most, um, especially in this field, in this in this era and in this Mm -hmm. type of conversation to actually let it all be and research it. And I know you've been triggered sometimes and I know you've had some episodes sometimes, but your strength and your ability to move on has been beautiful. Oh, I love you too, Samantha. And to all those who identify as female and have gone through trauma and understand the depth of where this can take you, thank you for who you are. Um, You're stronger than you know. And just, again, facing a perpetrator or being able to continue your life, that takes strength. 
And yes, this should reach out to more than just one gender. Um, trauma is a disease. And as, as Dr. Jane said, it's infectious and it takes a community to recover. And again, you're not alone mm-hmm. and we see you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's funny because we've done all these episodes and I still feel like we could have talked about this or we could talk oh, about yeah. There's so many things that are specific. And with intersectional feminism in mind, there are so many things we need to work on and improve for everyone. And also, I feel like I end all my episodes with this. <laughs> we should be moving towards prevention. Absolutely. There's like societal things Absolutely. that are in place, systemic, that we need to work on changing. Right. Tiny things Just like that. Just the mindset alone, as we talked about, about jurors, we need to talk about that in itself. Yeah. But anyway, that's a, <laughs> we're, we're working towards it. And Annie, you know, there's a lot of discussions we haven't talked about. I can always be back. Just yes. say it. Just say it. You know, I have, yes. I have some time on my calendars. So <laughs> just put it out there. Yes. And uh, we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll be hearing from you oh. again, I'm pretty sure. What? Yes. Um, but in the meantime, we would love to hear from you listeners. If you have any resources or any stories you'd like to share Please send them our way. Um, I do have some news. Oh, I was going to say, when you do send these, these help us too. They do. You don't. Uh, this therapeutic to see how many people are encouraging us. So for those who have reached out and who yes. like took their chance of reaching out, we do read these and we yeah. love them. And thank you. Keep coming. Oh yeah, I mean, thank you to everybody who just like wrote in and said, just oh, that was great. That right. like those comments, you don't know how. Because yes. can you imagine you put an episode out of your therapy session <laughs> about low self esteem, and you're like, oh god, what if everyone hates it? I'm not gonna lie, I almost had a panic attack when mine released. I was like, I'm gonna have to sit here and watch this show for hours and not move. <laughs> yes. So very much appreciated. Yes. But the news is, oh yeah, there is a new email address. New. Mm-hmm. And don't panic. I'm sure so many of you are panicking. <laughs> um, if you email the old email, it will still get to us. Um, but the new email is, all right, here we go. Oh. Stuff Media Mom Stuff at iHeartMedia.com. So easy. Stuff Media Mom Stuff uh-huh. at iHeartMedia.com. Are you doing like an, uh, you're doing my hype woman? I did. I did. That's what I'm here for. I'm trying to show my value here. Come I on. I love it. So simple, so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I repeated it back without any kind of. Uh, oh, you got me pumped. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. You, prompting. I got I got this out without any prompting. There we go. There I didn't we go. That's ask a her word. to do that. That's I a didn't word. ask her to do that. Um, you can also find us on social media, on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, and on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. Thanks, as always, to you, Samantha. Thank you, guys. I love you all. Thanks, as always, also to our super producer, Andrew Howard. I love you too, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Yay! Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Goodbye. (laughs) The curtain closes. (laughs) So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? 
Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime. 